Uh, Hebrews 6, 19 through 20. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever at the order of Melchizedek. Thanks, Jesse. If you're between the ages of four to the second grade, you're excused to Kids Club. Please open up your Bibles to Psalm 102. That'll be our text this morning. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Red Pew Bible before you, and we welcome you to take it if you don't own one. However, if you happen to own seven of them, and they're in your car, we ask that you bring back at least six of them. Uh, for we ebb and flow on the number of Bibles we have in our sanctuary. We're always glad to buy more, but if you've got a lot, we'd like them back. So, For the last 13 weeks, we've been in a summer series called My Anchor Holds. We've been practically looking at what does it look like to suffer, considering Hebrews 6, 19 and 20, the verse that Jesse just recited for us, considering the reality that we have a sure and a steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone before us as a forerunner on our behalf. Now, if you've been paying attention all summer, that verse has shown up at least twice in every service because we're trying to help that just drill into our minds, drill into our consciousness so that we come to a better and a better understanding that as believers in Jesus Christ, because this is what it all boils down to, that as believers in Jesus Christ, it does not matter the trial that you are walking through. It does not matter the suffering that is before you or the suffering that you are neck deep in. Because there is a concrete truth that in Jesus Christ, regardless of your situation or your circumstance, you have hope. Because in Jesus Christ, you've been anchored to God the Father, that you're forever tethered to him. Now, several different times we've gone back through that Hebrew 6 passage and exegeted it. And we've done so because we want you to see this very picture that if Jesus is your forerunner, that that word, that language meant something. That back in ancient times, a forerunner was like a small boat that would go out to a boat that was trying to harbor, that couldn't get in. And the forerunner would come out and get its anchor and take it and help it anchor. And that's what Jesus is. He comes to us, Jesus, and he anchors us to the Father. So that's the truth that we've been walking through all summer, and we've been nuancing it out any number of ways, using the book of Psalms as our guide to consider what does it mean to be anchored, anchored in opposition, or anchored in discouragement, or anchored in despair, or anchored in rejection, or anchored even in the midst of our sin, or in our misery, or even in depression. And if you missed any of those, I would point you to our podcast as we've been walking through Psalms all summer, looking at this theme of anchoring. And this morning we will open our 13th and final Psalm of the summer. We're in Psalm 102. As we get there this morning, I want you to notice, if you're looking at your Bible, you can look at the screen, I'll take either way. I want you to notice the words after the chapter number and before the verses. 
that those little words under Psalm 102 and a smaller font are called a superscription. Let's talk about that for a second. After we've moved through this series, I've commented on lots of these superscriptions, but I want us to take a little bit of a longer look at this one. The superscription for Psalm 102 reads like this. A prayer of one afflicted when he is faint and pours out his complaint before the Lord. Now, the first thing I want to notice, and I've tried to remind you this a couple of times, is that these superscriptions are original to the text. That means they showed up in the original Hebrew, which we can then infer means they're inspired by the Holy Spirit. That these superscriptions are not added later, like a subheading or a chapter title that a Bible editor might add. These superscriptions serve a couple of different purposes for us. But most often what they do is they give us a sense of who the author of the psalm is, who is writing, and from what context are they writing from, what's going on in their life. Many of them are helpful because then we could take that superscription and read back into 1 Samuel, for example, to see where David is. See what he's going through. See what the actual situation by which he's penning this psalm. And so what we have here in Psalm 102, what we know about our author is that he describes himself as one afflicted. That's how he identifies himself. And he's writing from the condition that he is faint and he's pouring out his complaint before the Lord. So before we even enter this text, we know this author is in a storm, don't we? We know that he's feeling all kinds of things. Already the text has told us that he is exhausted, and so he's turning to the Lord to complain. So I want us to pause and consider this. This is your Bible. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's put in the book of Psalms as a model of prayer and worship. And what this speaks to us And if God is willing to inspire someone to complain to him and to see to it that the author's complaints are recorded and then protected and then canonized, then we're clearly able to go to God with our complaints. Do you see that? I think that's a fair assumption working from this text. And if not, it's it's definitely a logical argument that God would inspire this, record it, protect it, canonize it, so that we could read it and then be encouraged by it. And if you want to counter with Philippians 2, where Paul exhorts the church to do everything without grumbling or disputing, I hear you. But I would also say there's a difference between doing things grumbly, I'm going to use some adverbs, or disputingly with others, as opposed to going to God and being honest about where you are. Because I think that's what we're finding in these psalms. That's what we're finding in Psalm 102 is the psalmist is going before the Lord and is just being honest about where he's at. I point that out to us to say that if you are afflicted and faint and you are not sure the Lord wants to hear from you, you're mistaken. God the Father is beckoning you to come to him. And if you are afflicted and faint and complaining 
and you're not sure the Lord can handle what you have to say, you are mistaken. God is coming to you and he's asking you to come near to him. We know that because in this text and many like it, several Psalms we've looked at, God the Father has used the Holy Spirit to clearly set a precedent that we can and should be honest with him, even to the point of complaint. Many sermon over, we'll get to verse 1. Psalm 102, verse 1. Hear my prayer, O Lord, let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me, answer me speedily in the day when I call. The author is calling out to the Lord. He's praying. He's communicating with God. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. If we listen to his words, if we take his words for what they mean, we should notice that he feels abandoned. Almost as if God is hiding from him, such that he feels sorrow. And so he's begging God to answer him quickly. He's in the middle of a storm. The waves are high, his boat is rocking, and he's going to spend the next nine verses illustrating his distress. Listen to what he writes. It's pretty creative. For my days pass away like smoke, and my bones burn like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass and has withered. I forget to eat my bread. Because of my loud groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. I am like a desert owl of the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake. I am like a lonely sparrow on the housetop. All the days my enemies taunt me. Those who deride me use my name for a curse. For I eat ashes like bread and mingle tears with my drink. Because of your indignation and anger, for you have taken me up and thrown me down. My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. That's distress. My days are passing. My bones are burning. I'm withered. I'm groaning. I'm falling apart. And clearly he's stewing in it. You have to be to write that many similes. He's comparing himself to things like desert owls. He's clearly stewing in it. And while I would tell you that I'm nowhere near this dramatic, it's not hard to say that I've been here. It's not hard to say that if I look back in times of my life, I have been here. Haven't you? It's easy to find yourself at the end of your cord, to feel completely worn out, to feel abandoned even by God. And yet the redeeming part of Psalm 102, the beautiful part of of Psalm 102 is that this psalmist is able to communicate that. He can say that before holy God. God will accept him. And yet that's not the end of the story. No, because at the midst of pouring out his distress, having been honest and even dramatic about his position, this psalmist and this psalm give you another perspective. For while he's down, he is still anchored. And this psalmist finds himself anchored not where he is or in 
the position he's in, or in the hope of his situation changing. Now, this is the truth of this psalm, and that he anchors himself, not in himself, but in who the Lord is and where the Lord is. And that's crucial. For it's not his position that mattered so much as it was the Lord's. Look at verse 12. But you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. You will arise and have pity on Zion. It is a time to favor her. The appointed time has come. For your servants hold her stones dear and have pity on her dust. Nations will fear the name of the Lord and the kings of the earth will fear your glory. For the Lord builds up Zion. He appears in his glory. He regards the prayer of the destitute and does not despise their prayer. There's a clear structure in this psalm. And what we find as we turn into verses 12 through 17 is his situation has not changed, but his perspective has. For he no longer only sees his despair. I like to call this a Psalm 121 moment. I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heavens and earth. In the midst of his despair, he looks up and sees something different than just what's going on around him. He looks beyond just the muck and the mire of his life situation to see God. And he sees from his pit the Lord enthroned forever. The Lord is on the throne And not just on that day, but forever. And friends, it's this kind of perspective, it's this kind of anchoring that holds him on this day. That the Lord is on the throne forever. And it changes things. Look at verse 18. Let this be recorded for a generation to come, so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord that he looked down from his holy height from heaven, the Lord looked at the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners, to set free those who were doomed to die, that they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord, and in Jerusalem his praise, when people gather together in kingdoms to worship the Lord. Now I've struggled to not push to this every single week of our series. Because what the author here desires to be written down, what he desires to be recorded for future generations, which by the way includes you and me and a generation yet to be born, right? People who have not even been created yet are to be encouraged by this psalm that you're to be encouraged, built up in your trials, in your distress, and even in your complaints. Not that the Lord would heal you because he hasn't healed this guy yet. Not that the Lord would resolve the situation because he hasn't resolved this guy's situation yet. But that we would be resolved in God sitting on the throne. That we'd be encouraged by that. That we'd be built up on that. Not just that God is sitting on the throne, but by who God is sitting on the throne. 
For we have a redeeming God. We have a faithful God who doesn't just sit and listen to prisoners grow. No, he sets them free. And that may not be on this earth. I sit down with people from time to time. You know how many people I've sat with in the last six months who are struggling with sin that will not go away. It beckons on their doorstep on a daily basis, begging to be set free, and the temptation is always there. Do you know what their hope is? Oh, friends, the hope is not the temptation going away. Their hope is Christ. I've sat down with people who are struggling with depression and just an overwhelming sense that they've been ridden to the ground for a long season, and it's not going away. Oh, friends, the hope I have for that person is not that their depression would end. The hope is Jesus Christ. For, for we will all be called to suffer in all kinds of ways that may not end on this earth. And that is not our hope. Our hope is in Jesus Christ who will completely heal us, who will completely redeem us. On the day we go home. Friends, the author of Psalm 102 wants us to be encouraged that the Lord is on the throne, that he is faithful, and that he is the redeemer, and he's pointing to Jesus. How do I know that? Let's look down at verse 25. Of old you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will all pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. Now, we could take this passage, and I could point at John 1, I could point at any number of passages for us to continue to see Jesus in this passage. But I've got a better argument. I've got a better and more biblical argument for us. Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 1. Hebrews 1. Long ago... At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also, he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. The author of the book of Hebrews begins this way by introducing Jesus, the Son of God. He is the heir of all things. He is the creator of the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the power of his word. And that's a pretty impressive introduction. But it gets better. For this isn't just an all-powerful being that we're talking about. It's an all-powerful being that got really personal with us, that came after us like he was a forerunner, like we were stuck in the ocean, 
unable to anchor ourselves because verse 3 tells us that he made purification for our sins. So when we fell into sin, he didn't leave us on our own. No, Jesus went to the cross for us to die on the cross for us, to take our punishment so that our sin could be forgiven, so that we could be purified. And then when he had accomplished that, he sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus is sitting on the throne, just as the psalmist said he was. But that still doesn't clearly connect us to Psalm 102, does it? So we'll keep moving. In chapter 1 of the book of Hebrews, the author is arguing that Jesus is supreme, that he's supreme over everything, including angels. Looking down at verse 5, For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. The author is quoting Psalms in Second Samuel to point to Jesus. A couple verses later, he says, verse 8, but of the son he says. Let's pause there for a moment after those five words. The author is saying about the son Jesus that God the Father is declaring these things to be true. And he quotes Psalm 45. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. This is God the Father talking about the Son. Now look at verse 10. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. What happens here in Hebrews 1, 10 through 12, is that the author of the book of Hebrews says of God the Father that Psalm 102, verses 25 through 27, are specifically about Jesus. That they, that's you and I, will perish. But he, that is Jesus, will remain. They, that is you and me, will wear out like a garment. But you, Jesus, are the same. And your years will have no end. Friends, as we've walked through this series... Through these Psalms pointing back to Hebrews 6 over and over and over and over again, it has been our desire to build up our church and to fortify us with such a sufficient and supreme view of Jesus that we would start to see and understand that despite what we're going through today or what we might go through tomorrow, That he is ruling over all of those things. And that none of those things challenge him. And then in the midst of that storm that we are to be built up and edified in the reality that it doesn't challenge him. And that somehow he's going to use all of that 
for his glory and for his name's sake. And so as believers in Jesus Christ, as people who submit ourselves to Jesus Christ, we'll step back and say, okay, Lord, clearly this is your plan. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't prefer it. I'd like a different path, but this is where you've got me. So I'm going to walk through this knowing that you're on the throne. I'm going to walk through this knowing that because of Jesus Christ, I'm anchored to the Father that I'm not alone. It doesn't matter how I feel. It doesn't matter what's going on around me. I am not alone. I'm anchored to the Father. And so even here in Psalm 102, we are reminded that in our muck, in our storms, even when we are perishing, even when we are wearing out, even when we're being rolled up like a robe, and I'm not sure what that means, Jesus is on the throne and that he will forever be faithful and he will redeem us. It's who he is. That's the hope of Psalm 102. That even in the midst of a storm, we could look up and see the Father and we could find ourselves in him. Let me pray for us. Gracious Father, As we consider these words, your words, that you wrote down for us to have, that we would know you, that we would know your heart, that we would know your character, Father, we find psalms that are filled with distress. We find psalms that are filled with lament. We find psalms that are filled with confession. We find psalms that find us in every conceivable place that we regularly find ourselves in. So, Father, whether there are people amongst us that are struggling in misery or sorrow or distress or depression or anxiety or any number of things, Father, as your people, may we not be defined by our situations or our circumstances, but could we be defined by you? Father, anchor us, tether us to yourself, through your son, Jesus. It's a biblical truth that we are. Father, give us a great hope, regardless of what we're walking through. And Father, on this day, if it's smooth and easy, Father, bring all of these things to mind when the, storm roll, when the storms roll in. Father, thank you that your son is sufficient. Thank you that he's supreme over everything. And thank you that he's sitting on the throne and that none of this will challenge that reality. It's the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.